Well, good morning. Uh, welcome uh, to all of you. A couple things before uh, I get into the sermon. One is tonight, at, or this afternoon actually at 4 o'clock, we'll be having the ordination service for Dawson into the ministry of word and uh, sacrament. And I hope that all of you will come, especially the members and regular attenders of Christ the King, but even those of you that are guests or perhaps you, the first time you've been here, uh, come, t- come today at 4 o'clock. It is going to be a beautiful service. Uh, we have a lot of special guests, special music. Uh, we're going to have a, a, the bagpipes. It's going to be wonderful, really a moving uh, service. So I want to encourage all of you uh, to attend uh, that tonight at four, this afternoon at 4 p.m. Uh, so please don't forget. It's a great time also to invite maybe some friends or family. Say, hey, we're having this special thing. Get to hear, hear bagpipes. And uh, so uh, please join us uh, this evening for that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a town hall meeting. Uh, each year we have a congregational meeting once a year, uh, But we decided, uh, the session and Dawson and myself, that we should have a series of town hall meetings during the year right after the service. They're going to last only 30 minutes, and we're going to address specific topics about how we go forward now that the pandemic is starting to wind down. And God willing, it won't resurge in the fall, and we will be able to, to do everything that we were doing before it started. So please plan to be with us. Uh... Don't rush off. Uh, I think it's June the 6th. Is that right? Do you, is that right? June 6th. So um, two weeks from today, we'll have a town hall meeting. So what we'll do is after communion, we'll have a quick break. You can grab a cup of coffee, come back in 30 minutes, and we'll address specific topics. And if someone has a question or something specific, uh, we will address that. Lots of things are going to change now after uh, this past year and a half. And so we want to be mindful of that and also... Uh, be sure that we're serving uh, those of you that are uh, attending Christ the King. So uh, thanks for doing that. Now, if you have your scriptures with you, open them to Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read this familiar passage in the second chapter of Acts because today is the day of Pentecost. And we don't make a lot about the church calendar here at Christ the King, although we We note it every week in the bulletin because I think it's important to remember that there was a time in church history, not so much now, at least not in in most Protestant traditions, but there was a time when the church ordered its year completely around the different uh, significant times of the church uh, events for the New Testament. And it's really, really remarkable if you if you delve into it and look into what the church was trying to do uh, in creating a calendar so the people of God could, could order their lives around the 12 months of the year centering on Jesus. And this day, 50 days after the second day of Passover, is what we call the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to read this together. Uh, it's printed in your bulletin. If you don't have your scriptures with you, there's Bibles in the back if you want one. Uh, to use, but uh, so now hear God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, Oh, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And we'll skip that. We'll return to it in a moment. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus you delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed Him by the hands of lawless men, but God raised Him up, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By Him, this man... Oops, sorry. My pages got stuck together. Sorry, wait. Still stuck. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is the word of the Lord. I apologize for that. I, I read my Bible so seldomly that, <laughs> that th- this is not the one I read. Uh, it's the one I use for Sunday. Anyway, 
I'm sure all of you have been following the news. You know, there's this eruption of conflict in uh, Gaza, in Palestine, in Israel, uh, between the Jews and the Palestinians. Something that we haven't seen for a while, but this is emblematic of the problem that we're going to talk about today. And that is, there has been human conflict from the very beginning of history that we know. As far back as we can go in history, there has been human conflict. In fact, we, we could actually say that it began in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 of Genesis when the relationships between God and His people, Adam and Eve, and nature and the planet and everything was destroyed by man's treason and disobedience in the garden. And we have been experiencing this conflict throughout our history. And it can become very disheartening. How can we achieve uh, true peace? How do we uh, get, get into some life that is somewhat normal so that we can get along? And we know this is true from the global relationships and wars and things like that, all the way down to our own personal relationships and church and marriage uh, with our children, just at work, you name it. There's always tension. And I think that today it's uh, auspicious, the day of Pentecost, uh, to talk about what it's going to look like for us to emerge from uh, this year and almost a year and a half of being locked down and pandemic, political polarization, anger flying through the internet and on the news, and, and just everybody roiled up. And I think we've got to, as the church of God, as the people of God, we have to lay everything down at Jesus' feet. Everything. And take up His Word. Take up the truth that will endure when all the conflicts have ended and lock into that uh, for this next season of life. So today is the day of Pentecost and the idea behind Pentecost, I'll tell you in just a moment, but the idea that God had for His people, whether it was the Old Testament or New Testament, we believe in our church that there is complete and crisp continuity between Old and New Testament, that the New Testament is a fulfillment of all the promises of the Old, and that Jesus, the Son of God, embodies all of those promises. And I'll show you in a moment how Peter took the day of Pentecost, which was an amazing uh, festival in the Jewish, the three festivals of the, of the uh, Hebrew people, and he brings Jesus Christ right to the center of it, shows you th- this is what this is all about. This is what it means to be a human being. This is what it means to live on this earth. This is why you're uh, called to be doctors or lawyers or butchers or bakers or candlestick makers, whatever it is, pastors, it, you could, you could be a student. You could be a homemaker. doesn't matter. God has called all of us into this grand vision that is exemplified by the day of Pentecost. And God left us here. He left His people here for a reason that we could be salt and light and harvesters and that we could reunify 
humanity. It's a big vision. It's something that, you know, we just don't talk about enough, but we're going to look at it this morning. Uh, one, one guy that I know, uh, he said that wherever the Reformation went, after the Reformation, 1500s, wherever the Reformation went, you could drink the water. And that was because the reformers had a very robust view of human beings being made in the image of God. And so when the elders, uh, not the ecclesiastical or church elders, but when the elders of Geneva wrote to John Calvin and asked him to come to Geneva and fix their sewer system, John Calvin said, we want clean water. For the Muslim, for the the Muslim man, they called him Muslim, the Jew, and Geneva was filled with a, a very robust Jewish population, and for the Christians and everybody that exists in Jew, we're going to bring clean water. Why? Not because they share a religion, but because they are made in the image of God, and that they are image bearers. And folks, there's never been, very rarely in in church history has there been a time more needy for people to take up this um, banner that is proclaimed here on the day of Pentecost. Archbishop Templeton said the church, listen, is the only institution that exists for its non-members. The church exists for those that are outside. Not for the, our little holy club that we get on Sunday morning. That's great and wonderful. And there's, there's a place for that. But the church, us, we are here for them, for the people out in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our culture, beyond. Like in the journey, we teach our men, we've got to go across the uh, street, in our neighborhoods, across the tracks, to people not like us, and across the oceans into the farthest reaches of the world. So the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And finally, Dietrich Bonhoeffer very famously said, the church is the church. And listen, only when it exists for others. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he could have just clapped his hands, bang, and everybody would have rose from the dead and gone up to heaven and bring the kingdom and, you know, all that. For whatever reason, he didn't do that. He left his people here and he told them what? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is king. That's why we named our church Christ the King. That was the gospel message. He's the king and we're calling people into a life of obedience and loyalty and love and service under the king to our world as long as we live and move and breathe. So this passage captures all that. Of course, I believe the New Testament captures that. I think the Old Testament also captures that grand narrative. But let's look at it very quickly Look at verses 1 through 4. There's actually three things, I think, that, that, that are highlighted. Many, many things. But these are the three that at least I'm going to highlight. One is that Peter's sermon focused on a harvest. Secondly, on the reunification of all humanity. We, we've got to hear this. The reunification of all humanity. And finally, 
the ultimate destiny of humanity. You know, when uh, uh, being a pastor, you get asked, this is the number one uh, question pastors get asked. When we're sitting in the office, people will say, what is God's will for my life? And what they're thinking is, you know, where does God want me to go to college? Or where does he want me to go to, uh, what kind of career does he want me to, who does he want me to marry? All of those kinds of questions. And the Bible doesn't speak directly to those types of things. What it does say is here's what it means to be a human being. Regardless, a human being. So look at verses 1 through 4. The day of Pentecost was fully come. What does the day of Pentecost mean? Well, in case some, some of you probably know this, but the day of Pentecost was the festival of weeks. And it marked the celebration of the harvest of wheat in the fall. And it also, later on, was the anniversary day of the giving of the law. So think about this for a second. Symbolically, the, um, the, the, the day of Pentecost meant harvest. And how would harvest occur? Word of God. Harvest and Word of God. So what happens is, the early church, 120, up in a room, and all of a sudden, God's Spirit comes, and they hear a sound, a literal sound, like a windstorm, like a hurricane. And, it, and flames of fire come down, and they kind of appear on top of these people's heads. And people in the neighborhood and in the, the city there around in those precincts could hear the noise and see the, the, the sign of these flames coming down. And the people came rushing out of the room into the streets, and they gathered together and they said, what does this mean? So you see God's Spirit, God's people, they were gathered in this room, they were filled with the Spirit, they were empowered. The power visibly appeared to them that they settled, it settled on God's people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there was no lack of what they needed to go enter the harvest of the earth. Jesus, on one occasion when a crowd was gathering, He told His disciples, look, look at these people. The harvest is white. It's ready. Pray for laborers to enter this harvest. And guess what? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit anointed all these people to do just that. And folks... It doesn't matter that it's 21 centuries later. Every one of you that have, have bowed the knee to King Jesus is filled with this Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit. Same power. Same flames. Although, you know, we don't see that kind of stuff and we don't need to see it because we have God's Word to tell us that we are filled with His Spirit. It's amazing. And then God's purpose. You see God's people, God's spirit. What about his purpose? Well, this is where the speaking in tongues comes in. Now, whatever else speaking in tongues is, and, and some of you may have had different experiences with speaking in tongues, and maybe some of you can actually do it, and, and, and that's fine. 
But what did it mean? What was the purpose of that? Because that's what the crowd wanted to know. You see, we, we get all wrapped up in, you know, whether or not you can and whether or not you should or whether or not, you know, what is it? And we don't really, we're not fully, completely cognizant of what it is because it's not enough information. But whatever it is, one thing we do know absolutely for sure concerning this outpouring and this ability to speak in tongues because the text tells us what is the purpose of that sign of glossolalia of people being able to speak in languages not their own but languages that could be understood by everybody around them what bell does that ring in your mind the reunification of humanity You see, there's a story in the Bible of the building of the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. And when they had built this, God looks down and He says, what are they doing? You know, we got to go down there and mess them up. So let's go down and let's confuse or babble their language. Let's confuse their language. Then they won't stay in this one spot in Mesopotamia and build this tower up to heaven and repeat the sin that preceded the flood of Noah. So God comes down and he confuses the language. And that is when we see this uh, disintegration of humanity. One of the greatest judgments of the Old Testament was the flood. The next greatest judgment, the confusion of languages. And that's when you get Gaza and Israel and Jews and Palestinians, and black, and white, and Hispanic, and Native American, and on and on and on it goes. Unbelievable. And here, right before our very eyes, God sends a sign to His church that that must end, and it will end, and He reunifies the entire human race by giving them a gift whereby they could spread the gospel in every language. It's not that you would just supernaturally... You know, I pray every day, God, supernaturally, please, let me speak in Spanish. Fluently. All I know is bad words. Ask Google. You don't know any bad words? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, really, folks, think of this. It was a sign. The Scripture is telling us. Look at, at, at these verses. They were amazed, astonished to hear Galileans speak their languages. Parthians, Medes, if you get a map and you start looking, it was people all around uh, Israel. And then another circle, a little further out. And then he mentions Rome and Arabia. I mean, this is the world he's talking about. Everybody is going to be able to hear and understand the gospel in their own language. And that's why, I mean, we've translated the Bible into every language under the sun and continue to do so every time we meet a culture who doesn't have it in their language, we bring them the Word, just like it was brought to Moses on Mount Sinai. You see, that was the anniversary of God giving them the tablets to Moses. Pentecost, it was wheat harvest, harvest, Word of God, 
the unconfusing of tongues so that everyone could hear the gospel in their own language. Now, whatever else speaking in tongues is, I don't have time to address that, but that is not up for grabs. That's an absolute fact because that's what the text is telling us. We know that because of what goes on. It was the, it was the signal or the sign that humanity would be reunified. This is why things like racism and war and, and culture, uh, uh, you know, divisions between rich and poor classism, why those things are spoken against over and over and over in Scripture. In fact, it makes up, listen folks, it makes up the largest body of literature in your Bible. It's called the Prophets. This is what the prophets, minor and major prophets, were concerned with, was how do we reunify the earth? All the earth. Even Isaiah talked about bringing Egypt in and bringing the Assyrians. These were age-old enemies of Israel. Bring, them, bring the Chaldeans. Bring, we're going to bring them all in. We're all going to sit at the same table. How in the world is that possible? They're speaking the wonderful things of God. They're telling people the age-old story. You have been made in the image of God and your life is worth the Son of God. Here's, here's, I'm going to tell you what your life is worth. You want to know what your life is worth? My Son for you. Nothing, no, no religion says that. Every religion says you for me. You do this, this, and this for God, whoever he, she, it, them is. You do this, and then maybe I'll accept you. Only Christianity says, here's your worth. I give my son to you. And I unconfuse the languages of the earth, and I remove every barrier. And in fact, in our, in our particular theology, we believe that in... Uh, 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 Revelation chapter 20, when I taught on Revelation a few years ago, about the thousand years uh, that Satan is bound in, in chains of gold, we believe that's right now. That God took Satan and bound him with chains and stopped the darkness so that when somebody hears the Word of God, they can understand it in their own language and then they can make the decision if they will accept it or reject it. It's profound what God did on the day of Pentecost. He signals a harvest. He announces the reunification of all human beings. Not to make us all the same, because in the book of Revelation it says we will all be up there praising God in our own languages and in our own tribes and in our, all of that. So heaven is going to be a multicultural worship service. Right? But what it does say is the barriers, the hatred, the vitriol that we feel towards people for any number of reasons is removed. And then look at verses 12 through 24. And this, I'll explain this very quickly about the prophecy of, of Joel. It tells us what the ultimate destiny of human beings is. In other words, what is the meaning of your life? What, what does it mean? Every day you live, from the time you're a child 
And that's why we catechize our children from the time they're little until the time you breathe your last breath. Our lives are to reflect the King Jesus. And that's not just in our obedience. When I, when I was teaching at Covenant Christian Academy, I used to always love to ask my kids in the class. Uh, I was teaching high school, time, high school class. I'd say to them, what, uh, trick question, what is God more pleased with? Your obedience or your repentance? What do you all think? Obedience or repentance? Who said yes? Okay. Roberto, andale pues, hermano. Perfect. It's both. He's pleased when you obey and he's also pleased when you repent and come back to him. How many times? Doesn't matter. A hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. How much is Jesus' blood worth? One drop, John Owen said, one drop was enough to suffice for all the sins of the world and beyond and a thousand worlds besides. And therefore, there's no end to His glory. What He wants from you is to come back when you mess up. And when you obey and you're obeying perfectly, we are to have a posture in our heart that Jesus said, you're to say to God, when you've done it perfectly, everything perfectly, not one jot or one tittle missing, the posture of your heart is to be to go to God and say, I have only done what is required. I've done no more than that, than what was required, because you are the end of all, the, 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 the good, the glory, everything is in you. Not taking any glory to ourselves, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross. You see how rich the day of Pentecost was. So what is the meaning? Well, they were amazed and they were perplexed. They didn't know, so they asked. But then there were other people who said, ah, they're just drunk. And you know what? That is the case. People look at us and they think, you know, you're crazy. You, you really bless your enemy? Could you really love your enemies? No, I can't love my enemies unless I live and move and breathe in my Savior. Who loved his enemies? How do I know? Because he loved me. Right? Somebody say yes or I'm leaving. Yes! How do we know He loves His enemies? Because He loves you. Not because He loves them. There's no them in us. That is anathema to Christianity. The only thing in Christianity is us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need this radical love of God to come in, swoop down and embrace us and never let us go. Never. Never lets us go. We can let go. He won't. We can shake our fist in His face. He just hugs us tighter. Never. That's what the day of Pentecost. What does it mean? Well, it means there's going to be tension in this world, but that Jesus said, I've overcome the world, so it's going to be okay. Then He goes into this prophecy of Joel. In fact, if you read the rest of of, uh, Acts, Peter and the other guys, the other apostles are constantly quoting these Old Testament references because they're saying, look, 
These promises are not new. These are same promises, same God, same Holy Spirit, same everything. The only difference is now the King is Mashiach is here. He has come. And He's fulfilled all these things. And so now, bow your knee to Him. Love Him. Give yourself to Him. Awesome. So here's a couple things to think about. First thing Peter says, verses 14 and following, he says, these are, these are days are like, this, this is a signal that the days of, uh, that Joel the prophet spoke about are now here and that these days are the last days. So here's something very important. You, you can hear pundits and, and people on television and different teachers saying, uh, these, this is the last days. Now, I can, I can pretty much assure you uh, that that's true. If they mean the last days are from Jesus' ascension into heaven until he comes again, that period of time. But if somebody tells you that, that this century is the last days, or the, the 22nd century, or the 23rd century, or the, the 5th of August is the last days. Those, those are somebody that they don't know how to read their Bible, with all due respect. Come on. I mean, the last days are defined not by us and our calendar, but by God and His calendar. And He started, the clock started ticking the day that Jesus rode up in the, in the book of Acts. He rose up in a cloud... And the Bible said, the Bible says he will come again like he did then and that the period of time between that day and the the return are all the last days. You and I are living in the last days. So did St. Augustine. So did John Calvin and Martin Luther. Everyone post-ascension of Jesus are living in the last days. And so we are to enter this harvest. We're to reunify humanity. That's our job. That's why we're here. But, he says, not only is it that, but I will pour out my spirit on all people. Tonight we're going to have this beautiful ceremony uh, in which the presbyters of the Rio Grande from all our presbyters will come, not all of them because some can't make it, but a commission of our presbyters will come and Dawson will come up here, he'll kneel and we will lay hands on him uh, and, and he will enter the ministry of the gospel of word and sacrament. That's what we'll be setting him aside to do. But every one of you and every one of these people in that upper room had a flame of fire come down in their head. Why? Because they were set apart for the work too. Everybody. Every one of you. All of us together are set aside for this marvelous works. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Listen, who are the all people? My sons, my daughters, the young the old, the slave, the free, men and women shall prophesy. That means they will teach, they will proclaim, they will speak this Word of God to all people. It's absolutely magnificent. And that message, that prophetic voice, 
Peter said has two parts. Listen, got to wind it up. Listen to what it is. The first part, verses 19 through 20, look if you have your Bible, if it's not in your bulletin, but he says this, I will cause wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth beneath, blood, fire, clouds of smoke, the sun will be dark, the moon will be turned red with blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And so what did we do two years ago when there was all this in the news about the blood, moon, What did we do? It's the end of the world. This is a this is what he's. These are portents in scripture. They would they would use hyperbole to say the sun is going to get dark. When did the sun get dark? Really get dark in this story. On the day judgment came down on your and my king. Not an eclipse. The light of the sun was darkened because the king bore the judgment of the word blood. His blood, fire, his destruction, his being consumed by the Romans and the religious community. Him, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. If you don't see it in Jesus, you're not going to see it in some day in the future. It was him that bore these things. They were portents to this end, this judgment. I will cause wonders, signs in the heaven above, earth beneath, blood, fire. But, look at verse 21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? This judgment. This blood, this fire, this vapor that will consume someday in the future, it will happen literally, and the world will be consumed. And you're being rescued by God through Jesus' blood and the darkness that fell on him. Why finally, Peter says, because of an ultimate human being. Look at 22 through 24, and then we'll close real quickly. He says something that's very intriguing. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, why did he say Jesus of Nazareth? Why didn't he say Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the King of Israel, Jesus, the Son of David, Jesus, the uh, the heir of the throne of David, Jesus, who was actually born in Bethlehem? Why didn't they start using apologetics to explain that he was born in Bethlehem, not in Nazareth. He's really not Nazarene. Why did they not why did they not backpedal from Nazareth when Nazareth was the worst possible place in the whole Middle East that you could be from? It's like being from Fabens. I say that because Madi V grew up, you know, after they came from Cuba, they lived in Fabens and it, and it's still pretty awful. If you're from Fabens, I'm not going to apologize. It's pretty awful. But think about it. Nazareth was the worst place. It was the worst possible place you could be born. And yet Peter, on purpose, says Jesus the Nazarene. What is he saying to us? Jesus, the ultimate human being, the Son of God, the one who died for you, the one who lived a perfect life, who was he? Weak, despised, rejected, powerless, naked, hung on a cross with, with slurs against him. Do you see what's happening, folks? He is telling the church, enter into my weakness. 
You're not going to get power. You're going to live without power. And if you get power, God says to us, I'm going to have to take it away from you. And he does. He loves you too much to give you power. Every time the church has had power, either money or political power, it sinks like a rock. Like a rock. But you nailed him. Here's saying, judgment and salvation is our message. And why? Because of the ultimate human being, because of Jesus Christ. You nailed him. You betrayed him. You killed him. The emphasis is, it pounds on our, it should be pounding in our head. It was us, like Rembrandt, who painted himself into the painting of the crucifixion, put his self-portrait in there. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. We killed him. And it's why he can ask us for anything. He can ask us, take up your cross, follow me. To die is to live. You see the extremes he goes to. To tell us where true freedom is. Our ultimate meaning. As we emerge, when we come out of this pandemic, folks, this has got to become I believe it was ingrained in us before, but I think we're going to have to reassert our will, our vision, our focus, as Dawson has talked about, and all the ministers in our presbytery are talking about, and all the ministers in our denomination, and all the ministers outside our denomination. Everybody is thinking, how do we re-engage our culture? And I'll tell you how. We're going to harvest we're going to reunify. We're going to tell people about it. We're going to do it at our own expense. If they spit in our face, we're going to love them anyway. Do you see, if, if God, God's waiting for His people to actually go out and obey Him. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found to be difficult. Christianity has been found to be difficult and therefore left untried. We don't even bother. We just hang out in our little groups and do our little things. But we won't put ourselves out there. And so when, in our town hall meetings and in the future, well, how are we going to do that? We're going to have to do it because these are the last days. We are going to extend God's kingdom, His rule and His reign over this earth by doing good, floating everybody's boat. No matter what it takes. By trusting the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the power of God, not our own marketing uh, uh, efforts and how slick we can be. So I canceled the order to our fog machine. Jesus reversed Babel, that great judgment upon humanity. He reversed it. And our common tongue, folks, is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And I hope y'all will trust Him. Will you trust Him? Put your heart, your lives in His hands and don't question. Whatever happens to you, you can trust Him and go forward. Let's do that. Father, we thank You for Your kindness and Your goodness to us. We know there are a lot of challenges ahead. We don't even know what they look like yet. But please help us, save us, have mercy on us, Lord. 
Let us engage with the people around us and as uncomfortable as it is and promises to be. Please, make us salt and light, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.